our scripture this morning is Psalm 52. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall seek and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. The word of the Lord. We slow down every summer and we meditate on the Psalms. We've been doing it for several years, just you know, a, a handful of Psalms every summer helps us to to practice one of the most important aspects of our faith and our walk with Jesus, meditation, where, where we look at the Word of God and we just chew on it and we think about it and we really let it sink into our soul uh, so that it transforms the way we think and the way we live. Uh, we don't just study the Bible, we meditate on it. So we look at the Psalms every summer and we happen to be on Psalm 52. And, you know, Psalm 52 is a great psalm to meditate on and really to pray through if you feel personally wronged. It's a great psalm to meditate on and pray through if you are grieved or angered at some injustice in the world. The heading of the psalm refers you back to 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. So we get some biographical background on this. It turns out that David is running for his life from King Saul. David is the true king, but not king yet. Saul, the current king, is jealous of him and out to get him. So David is hiding in caves and running through the forests and, and uh, running through valleys and ravines and, and vales, trying to stay away from Saul and his army hiding from place to place. And during this process, you read in uh, 1 Samuel 21 uh, and 22, Saul executed 85 priests in the village of Nob. Actually, he had the entire town, man, woman, and child executed because they had harbored David and his band of outcasts. It was actually Doeg the Edomite, we learn, who had been with David during that time and then left and found Saul and tattled and told Saul, hey, that town, the priests there, they took care of David and his men and they fed them and they gave them shelter. So, uh, so what happens is none of Saul's soldiers would dare kill the priests. So Saul made Doeg do it. And when David heard about the terrible news, he grieved. And perhaps this psalm is the result of David's grief and his anger of that terrible tragedy. I have uh, written music before after tragedies. I wrote an entire musical album 
after a major event, a major traumatic tragedy in our family. Maybe you've done something like that. Have you ever composed a poem in your grief or in your anger? Or maybe you wrote a story or uh, maybe you painted and that was helpful to you. Maybe you built a treehouse. Those are just some simple examples of a, you know, a positive way to, to process your grief and your anger, your trauma, your loss, or even a personal conflict. You know, get out and mow the lawn or build a fence. But there are some destructive ways of dealing with trauma, aren't there? There are some destructive, unhealthy ways of processing our loss and our conflicts. Psalm 52 is a great deterrent to responding to conflict in unhealthy, destructive ways. It's a small psalm with big wisdom. And I think what you're going to discover as we look at Psalm 52 today is that the mature Christian relies on God's wisdom in conflict. The mature Christian relies on God's words, on God's ways in facing a conflict. That's the value of Psalm 52 for us today. I want to talk about three basic ideas, and they're going to sound weird to you at first. I want to talk about laughter, and I want to talk about waiting, and I want to talk about remaining. Now, those three things on the surface don't seem to be related to each other, but they are, and we'll get there. We're going to talk about laughter as it relates to conflict. We're going to talk about waiting on God in your conflict, and we're going to talk about remaining with him through your conflicts. So laughter, waiting, remaining, okay? Biblical wisdom laughs for what will become of evil. The Bible laughs for what will become of evil. You picked up on the fact that David is kind of mocking Doeg, mocking the deceiver, the informant, the murderer, the usurper. Look at verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Now, the original Hebrew for mighty man, it, it meant a man of valor. It's translated as champion in certain places in the Old Testament. Do you know that it was the very word used to describe Goliath earlier on in David's life? But Doeg was a herdsman. We discover in 1 Samuel that the guy that David is talking about was, was a shepherd, not a warrior. And so David's words here are dripping with sarcasm. Oh, mighty man. You're a big guy, huh? That's really what David is saying. You're a big guy slaughtering an entire village to please the king, you tattletale, you mighty man. He's mocking him. He's saying, you boast now, O mighty man, but, he goes on to say in verse 5, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch you out of your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. He will uproot you. Sometimes the weeds uh, grow quickly, especially in this heat, right? Uh, we have a beautiful vegetable garden that Becky tends, and the weeds can take over if you let them. They can get big and impressive 
and menacing and crowd out the vegetables that you're trying to cultivate so that you can eat them, right? But sooner or later, Becky comes along and uproots those big bad weeds with the slightest bit of effort. They look intimidating. They're crowding out the vegetables, but with the slightest bit of energy, you can just rip them right out and throw them in the burn pile. Or in our case, to the dump, because our community HOA doesn't let us burn stuff in the yard. <laughs> doesn't sound as poetic. But sooner or later, the big bad weeds get rooted up easily by the gardener. Knowing that, David mocks the wicked. Knowing that, David says, the righteous are here for good. Now, the righteous, he, he doesn't mean the morally perfect. He means the faithful, those who, those who are with God and are staying with God, the opposite of the wicked, the opposite of Doeg. David says, the righteous are going to mock you too. Verses 6 and 7, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, see, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Now, what do we do with this awkward situation here of David laughing at somebody? What do we do with the awkwardness, the tension of, of this mockery in the song? Because in general, we're told to not mock people, right? And, and listen, I don't want you coming away from this thinking that the pastor told you it is okay to make fun of people that are in conflict with you. You did not hear me say that. Do not go out and do that. You know, if you go back to Psalm 2, Psalm 2 says that God laughs, same word, that God laughs at world leaders who try to oppose him, who rage against him, who, who rage against him and conspire against him. So there must be some good, righteous, just source for this type of laughter, for this type of mockery. Think of it this way, um, don't we laugh when um, we, we hear stories and watch movies where the villain gets what's coming to him, um, but, but in, in a very ironic way, right? Don't, don't, don't we laugh when, when the villain gets what's coming to him in such a way that justice is couched in humor? Like, like, think of Wiley Coyote, right? The coyote is always coming up with schemes to get the roadrunner, but they always backfire on him, right? Like, he leaves dynamite for the roadrunner, but the dynamite blows up in his, in his own face. And we laugh because he gets, he's getting what he's deserved. Or think of, think of the dean of students, Ed Rooney, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where, where you know, he, his, finally, at the end of the movie, he is outsmarted, he is bested by his nemesis, Ferris Bueller, and Ed Rooney, in his shame, has to ride the school bus surrounded by his own students, right? Like, there is a, there's, we're laughing, not because, it, it's not, it's not a, um, a vindictive laughter, right? It's not an arrogant laughter, it's, an, it's a laughter of relief, because there, there's a sense of joy over the fact that somebody got what they deserved. Right? Justice was served through irony, and that makes you laugh. You see it, I mean, it's not funny at all, but there's an irony in the book of Esther when Naaman is hung on his own gallows. Right? So 
We're not really laughing cruelly in this psalm. David is not laughing cruelly. It's a laughter of relief because justice was served. There's a poetic catharsis when justice is couched in humor. So when evil, when intentional wickedness, that's what I mean by evil, when it's thwarted, it loses its power over us. It loses its power over our imagination. And in that relief, we laugh. Think of, think of the mighty, wise, resourceful woman of Proverbs 31, where we are told that she laughs at the time to come. She, or a different translation, she laughs at the days to come. She's not making fun of the future, but she's not scared of the future. She knows who she is. The uncertainty of the future holds no power over this woman. And so she is able to laugh at the days to come. In a similar way, David looks at the future believing that God will serve justice upon the wicked. And so he can laugh. The Bible laughs for what will become of evil, and that lessens evil's power. Now, we can't just laugh, right? A lot of funny people are very unhappy in this world. We can't simply laugh. Jesus warned about that in one of his versions of the Sermon on the Mount. Woe to you who laugh now. You will mourn eventually. So just laughing in life, laughing at tragedy, is not necessarily a good thing. The Christian has a whole lot more to hope in than just laughter and humor. We got to go beyond that laughing at the days to come, laughing at what evil is going to get in the end. People of the word, the righteous, they wait. We don't simply laugh because that makes us like everybody else. We wait. We laugh and then we wait for God to act. We laugh for what will become of evil, but then we wait for God to act. This is a psalm of contrasts, right? Between the villain and David, between the wicked and the righteous. Now, remember earlier, David had said that the wicked will be uprooted like a plant, right? The villain is going to eventually be uprooted. But he goes on to say about himself, but I am like a green olive tree, verse 8. A green olive tree, meaning in its flourishing, in its maturity, when it prospers and begins to bear fruit. He says, I am like a green olive tree. You're going to be uprooted, but I'm like an olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. You're going to be uprooted forever, he says, but I am like an olive tree in God's house forever. I found out that olive trees are some of the oldest trees on the planet. They think that the oldest olive tree on the planet is actually in Bethlehem. Do you imagine that? It's estimated that the Al, uh, sorry, Al Badawi, it means the big one. The Al Badawi olive tree in Bethlehem is estimated to be between four and 5,000 years old. So David is saying, by call, <laughs> comparing himself to an olive tree, he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere because God has been planted. It's not about him and what he's done. It's what God's done. I, I rely on the steadfast love of God, and I'm like an olive tree planted forever in God's house. Becky uproots those weeds, but she leaves the lemon tree alone. She leaves 
the fig tree alone. And actually, she doesn't even neglect them. She nurtures them. She deals with pests. She deals with the soil. She nurtures them because she wants them to stay. We're hoping to get lemons someday. We're hoping to get figs someday. And so you protect that. It's not going anywhere. The weeds, they're gone in a minute. But the tree you want to keep in your house, the tree you want to keep in your yard so that you can enjoy it for good, you nurture, you maintain, and you protect. And David's saying, that's us. That's the righteous. God plants us forever, and he's taking care of us. We hope in his steadfast love, not in ourselves. And so David, in that assurance, goes on to say in verse 9, I will wait. That's the result. He's not just laughing. That's obnoxious if you're just laughing. He says, I'm going to wait. I will wait for your name, for it is good. God's name in the Old Testament, it meant more than just his name, like my name or your name. God's name meant his reputation, his character, his personality, his attributes. It meant his reputation, his presence, and if you will, his brand. God's name went before him and announced who he was. And David's saying, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait in this situation for your name to show up and do what you know is best. You see, the wicked, those, those who are selfish and the bullies of the world, they laugh in arrogance and they act immediately. They take things into their own hands, you see. But the righteous, David says, the faithful, the Christian laughs in hope. Not in arrogance. The Christian laughs in hope and waits for God to do things his way. The Christian waits and and leaves the matter in God's hands. You don't see examples of that in how the world deals with conflict. So what I suggest we do is we learn how to wait on the Lord in our conflicts and not rely on our own default responses for how we deal with conflict. Maybe you run and hide and deny or maybe you attack and accuse and assault. We're all kind of somewhere on the spectrum based on our personality, our temperament and what we learned growing up and the the neighborhood and culture we're a part of. We all respond to conflict differently. right? And, and, And there are many habits we've learned that we've picked up, um, and, and that's how we respond to conflict. Well, what I'm saying is don't rely on all of that. Learn to wait on the Lord in your conflict. So today or this week in your prayers, I want you to name, is something practical to do. With the Lord in prayer, name that person or name that situation that causes anxiety or fear to rise up in you. Name that situation, name that person to God in your prayers. And then try to wait for him to act in that situation rather than leaning on your own usual responses to conflict. Now that's not being idle, it's not being lazy, it's being patient. Patience is active waiting. It's responding to conflict in faith. Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher from the late 1800s, commented on this verse, on this psalm. He said, men must not too much fluster us. Our strength is to sit 
still. Let the mighty one boast, we will wait on the Lord. And if their haste brings them present honor, our patience will have its turn by and by and bring us the honor which excelleth. You see that? He's saying Doeg, Doeg pleased Saul and got ahead in the short term by tattling on David and murdering all those people. But in the long run, God's going to have his way with the wicked. We're going to be patient right now like David was in that moment. And in the end, that patience, that faithful patience, will get the glory it deserves. Learn to wait on the Lord and not lean on your own understanding and conflict. That is a lesson I have struggled to learn my entire adult life. Are you relying on yourself in conflict? You have to ask, I can't answer that. You can. Are you relying on yourself in your conflicts? Do you even know what your default responses are to conflict? Do you even know what they are? Have you ever assessed yourself? Have you ever let anybody in your life who is close to you tell you, hey, when you get angry or scared or loud or whatever, this is how it makes me feel or this is how it impacts the situation. Do you even know? Do you even know what your, your, fault, your default responses are? You should. You know, self-awareness, it was not invented by millennials and Gen Xers. And self-awareness is not just something for the highly emotional types, the people who are super or too much in touch with their own feelings. I didn't say self-obsession. I said self-awareness. It's a very ancient concept. The Psalms are all about self-awareness, are they not? Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? The Psalms are all about self-awareness, and the Psalms help us see, especially Psalm 52, that to not know yourself is prideful. To not understand your default responses to conflict is the height of foolishness. And when we do not seek to understand ourselves in that way, when we do not try to know our own sin and how our sin and how our unhealthy learned habits impact our conflicts and fuel our responses to conflict, even when it's not our fault, even when we didn't instigate it, when we fail to look into ourselves in that way, we end up fighting dirty. We fight dirty. And in our anger and in our hurt and in our fear, we do exactly what Psalm 52 is telling us not to do. We respond in kind. We do exactly what David was disciplined to pray about not doing after Doeg murdered all those people, not respond in kind. I know you don't like waiting. I don't either. It's hard for industrious, hardworking, workaholic Americans to wait. It is. It's hard to wait. But for the Christian... Waiting is not idle, right? Patience is not idle or lazy. For the Christian, we do not wait unfocused. We do not wait unfulfilled, unemployed, spiritually speaking. 
While we wait, we remain. What I mean by remain is we abide. While we wait, we remain with God. He's got us planted in his garden. We're not going anywhere. While we wait, he's feeding us the nutrients of his soil. He's tending us and pruning us. While we wait, we are remaining with him like that olive tree that David's talking about. We remain with God for the joy of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Waiting for the Christian is always active. It's passive, yes, in one sense. We're waiting for God to act. But we are actively engaging our faith as we wait on him. The proof of that is the psalm. Look what came out of David waiting in that distress, this entire song. He wasn't idle in his waiting. Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me. We, read, we, we, we talked about this just a few months ago in the Gospel of John. He said, abide in me and I in you. See the reciprocity? See the relationship? Abide in me and I in you as the branch, and here we go back into that gardening, into that horticultural imagery, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So apply that to your conflicts, right? You can't get through your conflict in a productive, healthy way unless you're abiding in me and not leaning on your own understanding. How else can we deal with conflict better unless we are more satisfied with Jesus? Jesus who did, think about it, he did not sin in his anger. He did not respond in kind when he was captured and falsely accused and sentenced to death and crucified. I mean, like, just, he, was, he wasn't just, like, knocked off like that in private, like with a sniper bullet. He was humiliated publicly. And yet we discover in the New Testament that he did not respond in kind. But the apostle Peter said he didn't retaliate. He what? Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Wow, if God the Son can wait for the Father to act, then surely you can, surely I can. It's because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross that we can laugh at the coming judgment when he returns. We can laugh at that because we're not going to be judged with wicked, with the wicked and with sin. We can laugh at the future of God's coming judgment because he hung on that cross instead of us. We can look at the future and laugh at the days to come because our sin has been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ who did not retaliate and spawn, respond in kind but waited for God to work. And on the third day he did. Not by killing his enemies immediately, as Avery said earlier with the, with the kids, but by rising from the dead. We laugh, we wait, but we also remain, we abide. The Apostle Paul used to boast about his violence, he would say, when he talked about Jesus. He said, when I used to be called Saul, when I used to be called Saul, I thought I was doing God a favor by having Christians killed and rounded up and thrown into prison. 
he boasted not only in his intelligence and his PhD in holiness, he, he also boasted in his violence. And Paul gave all of that up. He gave up the honor and the reputation for being what the, uh, the establishment community wanted him to be. What would have given him the kind of honor that Saul gave Doeg was to keep rounding up Christians and throwing them into prison. And he said, I gave all of that up. I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He knew he was a green olive tree planted forever in God's garden. And that's what became most important and most precious to Paul. It became his joy. And so we, we laugh, we wait, and we remain in God for the joy of getting to stay with Jesus. I mean, after all, resolving conflict is all about giving things up, isn't it? Resolving conflict is about letting things go, giving up your rights in forgiving somebody, giving up your desire to have things and be selfish in repentance. We're always giving something up in order to deal with our conflict in a helpful way. Jesus gave himself up for Paul. Paul gave up his boasting for Jesus. And you and I will learn to give up whatever we're clinging to in our conflicts. Whatever we're clinging to and holding on to and trying to maneuver and manipulate according to our own wisdom, we will learn to give all of that up once Jesus becomes our greater joy. Once we're happier and more content and more desirous to be planted in that garden with Jesus, when that becomes our true joy, we learn not only to laugh, but we learn to wait because we're remaining in him. The mature Christian relies on God's wisdom in conflict. The mature Christian relies on his word in our conflict. The mature Christian relies on God's ways, not our ways. When faced with a situation or a person that makes you afraid or anxious or angry. So learn to wait on him. Learn to wait on him and rely less on your own default responses to conflict. Laugh for what will become of evil. Don't laugh at wicked people because you're one of them. You're just a forgiven sinner. Laugh at the days to come because wickedness and evil have no power over you. They have no power over you. God will deal with it. But wait for him to deal with it in his time, in his way. And remain now Remain. You are, an, if you belong to Jesus, you are that 5,000 year old olive tree planted deep, spread wide, bearing fruit, remaining in his garden forever. Remain for the joy of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Our God, we know that this is just a brief psalm. There's so much to understand about our conflicts. There's so much to understand about evil and, and the tragedies and injustices 
in the world and in our lives. It's very complex. We know that. Uh, we don't mean to make light of any of it, and I don't mean to make light, Father, of anything that anybody is going through or has endured. And yet we thank you for this little nugget, this little song that has a wonderful message that we need not fear, that we need not sin in our anger, that we need not run away immediately or attack immediately, that we may laugh at the fact that we belong to you. We may wait for you to act in the circumstance, but keep us grounded in Jesus Christ. Keep us, keep us grafted in to his vine that we would bear much fruit even in our conflicts. In his name, amen.